Hello, I'm Mel. And I'm Steph. And this is East Asia for All, a podcast about the East Asian pop culture and media that you love. We're both working on our PhDs in Chinese history, but we also study and teach about East Asia in general. If you're listening right now, you, like us, probably also have an addiction to East Asian pop culture and media. Between the two of us, we've lived on and off in China, Taiwan, and Japan since 2007. So we're taking our love for East Asia, our experiences there, and the knowledge we've gained in the ivory tower, and making it available beyond our classroom walls. So after our fourth full episode released in June on the Taiwanese film Warriors of the Rainbow with Professor Leo Ching, we received a really fantastic comment and some questions from a listener named Travis in Santa Barbara. Yeah, and you can check out the full question and comments on our blog post at eastasiaforall.com in the comments section on the um, Warriors of the Rainbow blog post. Um, But just to summarize, the core question was, how can we approach authentic representations of the culture of Aboriginal Taiwanese people without resorting to stereotypes? So we decided to reach out to Dr. Jiarong Wu, a professor of Chinese studies at Rhodes College for his thoughts on the question. And here are some of the things he had to say. Quote, To approach the allegedly authentic cultural representation of Aborigines, one has to seek ways to bypass negative stereotypes like that. Meaning, how Taiwan's Aborigines are portrayed as savage and uncivilized subjects. And to heal the rift between ethnic groups. On this matter, self-representation is the key. Yes. Um, And the space for Aboriginal self-representation is really important. Uh, Professor Wu also stresses that Han Taiwanese can help carve out that space, too. He writes, quote, Weida Sheng's blockbuster film, Warriors of the Rainbow, can also be a critical case in point. Though not an Aborigine himself, Wei casts an impressive Aboriginal crew in re-narrating an Aboriginal epic about the Wuxia incident. Wei's major achievement here lies in his ability to arouse the sentiment of Aborigines and to further appeal to the audiences across ethnic groups on a nationalistic level. Despite the continuous inter-ethnic strife, the rise of Aboriginal consciousness has contributed to the mutual understandings between two roughly defined ethnic groups in Taiwan, the Hans and the Aborigines. In a nutshell, it requires two-way communications between ethnic groups to better facilitate the cultural representation of Aboriginality. The process has begun, but an ideal ending has yet to come. We are so glad to have listener feedback, and we would love to hear more about what you think of this episode. Find us on Twitter or iTunes to continue the conversation. Now for the episode. Today's episode is about board games and queerness in Taiwan. Which we know don't seem like topics that you'd normally put together. Indeed not, but hear us out. There is a connection in the form of a Taiwanese board game called Ban Jia Jia You, or in English, Home Play. Well, maybe first we should just say that board games have been gaining popularity in Taiwan. Good point. They're probably not as popular as in the U.S. right now, but according to a 2015 article in the LA Times, board games have been particularly hot in Taiwan since 2008, 
when a local game publisher translated many Euro-American games into Chinese. And many of the games popular in Taiwan are still Euro-American games like Citadels and Dixit. However, there are some board games that are being created in Taiwan, like Homeplay. Exactly. Homeplay was created in 2012 by the Taiwan Gender Equity Education Association in response to teachers finding that some children who came from so-called non-traditional families, as in they didn't live in a two-parent, one mom, one dad family, were finding it difficult to explain their family backgrounds during popular classroom activities like making a family tree. Which is pretty brilliant for a board game. It depersonalizes the process of talking about different family structures and also makes for a really fun creative game. Totally. And while anyone can play it, we did, there are specific directions for teachers wanting to use it in the classroom. So we should explain how it works. Home play is essentially a storytelling game in which every person picks out a card with a home and a certain number of slots for family members and also lifestyle cards, which are cards with activities or items on them. Yeah, you randomly pick up cards with people on them to fill up your household and then pick up lifestyle cards. And your household could be four children, one adult, two adults and five children, one adult and no children, or any other number of combinations. Then, once everyone has filled up their household, each person takes turns telling a story about their household. And unlike games like the American board game, The Game of Life, you don't have to create a two-parent heterosexual family unit. That's right. In fact, depending on what kind of people cards you pick up, that might not even be an option. You might have a household that consists of two adult women and a dog. Which many people would probably describe in their story as a lesbian couple. But if the player wanted, they could also decide that they're sisters or maybe friends living together as housemates. But probably a lesbian couple. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, though, you can make up whatever kind of story you want for the household. It's pretty wonderful. And the characters are also a wide range of different races, nationalities, and ethnicities, in particular ones that are specific to Taiwan. And the directions encourage you to think about and talk about the gender and sexualities of your family members in addition to things like hobbies or jobs. And as we mentioned, we played the game. Yes. And it was so much fun. It was silly and creative, and we ended up with some very colorful stories. At one point, I had a household made up of one child who lived in a camper. <laughs> it is possible we misunderstood the directions a little. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I do think that the little boy was living a very good life. In the short term, at least. Um, so we want to share with you a recording of us making up a story while playing home play. So, Steph, would you like to? Should I start? Tell Should us, I start? Tell us a story. Um, so, my family has four people. We live in a three-story house. We have our yeah yeah <laughs> three-story house. Eh? <laughs> I know. It's the only time I will own a three-story house is in this story. <laughs> um, and our grandpa. He, he likes to make dumplings. That's kind of his jam. And uh, our grandma is a, a fitness nut. She <laughs> really loves to work out. Very fit. And <laughs> our older brother, I guess, 
um, works as a delivery guy on the side. He's got to, you know, do the hustle thing. Even though we're in a three-story house, that's how we got the three-story house. Is he, <laughs> he hustles at that delivery job because Ye Ye and I and I are not working. <laughs> they are <Okay>. retired. <laughs> They're retired. <laughs> and then our youngest member of our family, our child, um, is about eight years old, loves cats, and hates sports. Now, Nai Nai, grandma wants him to go out for basketball, but he hates basketball. And he doesn't. And so there's some, there's oh, some interfamily family conflict. conflict. Yeah, there's some conflict in this three-story house. On the outside, it looks peaceful and, and calm. And on the inside, it's raging with tensions about <laughs> basketball. <laughs> mm. And that is my story. That's where that's the story begins really there. But that's that's where I'm going to leave it. It's a cliffhanger. Will he go out for the basketball team? Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mel? What's your story? Okay. So my family is a, a single person family. There is just one person. Uh, it is an eight-year-old boy, and uh, he lives in a, a camper. It uh, it technically moves, but he can't drive it or see over the steering wheel yet. So it in in reality, it does not move. And he's really into dolls. Mm. Uh, his favorite is playing Barbies. He is meticulous about his hygiene. Very into hygiene. Luckily, the camper has water hookup. He's all set. He brushes teeth after every snack and meal. And uh, he has two cats. But they're outdoor cats. Maybe his family got like assaulted by wildlife while they were camping. Oh, it could be a horror story. Survivor story. Ooh, this is the origin story. Okay, it could be a horror story, or it could be a sort of jaunty comedy in which his family forgot about him on vacation. Yeah, he's just enjoying that doll and camping life all on his own. So much fun. We will definitely do it again. Now, I can't say that I'm surprised that this sort of queer-friendly game originated in Taiwan and that Taiwan was the first nation in East Asia to potentially legalize same-sex marriage. Yeah, same-sex partnerships have some legal recognition elsewhere in East Asia, including some districts in Japan, but it's nothing like full national marriage equality that Taiwan will potentially have in two years or less. We should note that same-sex marriage is not yet legal in Taiwan, but the Taiwanese Constitutional Court ruled that laws barring same-sex marriage were unconstitutional and gave the government two years to legalize same-sex marriage. We also want to say that we know from queer liberation movements in the U.S. that marriage equality is only part of the struggle, and we certainly don't want to reduce the LGBTQ liberation movement in Taiwan or anywhere else to just marriage. Right. Marriage equality is important for some queer folks, but not all queer folks. It's a big step, though. And while the Taiwanese government and people are increasingly supportive of equal rights and status for LGBTQ folks, it has not always been this way. No, it certainly hasn't. In May of this year, so really recently, an English translation of Chiu Maojin's Notes of a Crocodile came out. And it tells us a lot about what it was like to live as a queer woman in Taiwan in the 1990s. 
Yeah, Notes of a Crocodile is a semi-autobiographical novel about a queer woman in Taipei in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And it's mostly about the main character's life at university, her queer community, and her struggles with her attraction to women at a time when homosexuality was totally taboo. Yeah, Cho really struggled, and she ended up killing herself in 1995 at the age of 26. Since then, she's become a well-known and well-regarded writer, as well as an important rallying figure for Taiwan's LGBTQ movement. And according to a January article in the South China Morning Post by Yinin Tsui, Cho's death is considered somewhat of a catalyst for a Taiwan's gay rights movement. Yeah, if you want to know more about Cho Maojin or the life of queer folks in Taiwan in the 80s and 90s, we definitely recommend her novel. And like we said earlier, uh, gay marriage is not yet legal in Taiwan, but we look forward to developments in Taiwan for the queer community, especially over the next two years while the government is making marriage equality a legal reality. And in the meantime, you can also play home play. Uh, we're not sure how widely available it is, but we're linking it to the game's website in our show notes uh, so you can find out more and try to find the game yourself. And there's even English and Japanese language instruction manuals on the website. We hope you have fun. And we'd love to hear what kind of stories you come up with. Yeah, find us on Twitter or Facebook to continue the discussion. In wrapping up, we want to say a few words about our sponsors. We're a new podcast funded generously by the American Councils for International Education Critical Language Scholarship Alumni Development Program and the Phillips Ambassadors Alumni Award at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. If you like our podcast, you could really help us out by telling others about the podcast and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at East Asia for All or visit our website, eastasiaforall.com, for show notes and more information about the podcast. We're lucky that we don't need funding or donations right now, but we could use your support in getting the word out. Thanks. <laughs>